Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. Good to chat with you, Audrey. You too, Sean. How are you? We do want to talk about something that has really made the news, you know, and rightfully so. We're seeing these shocking videos, or at least shocking to those who have never maybe experienced this, of the street racing epidemic, whether it's cars drag racing down the street or it's the uh, young adults taking over an intersection and just going in circles while crowds and crowds and crowds of people gather around them. And it kind of has been this symbol of lawlessness, right, that in Chicago of what is happening. Maybe maybe there's broader issues that this just kind of is a microcosm or people feel like it's a microcosm. But I imagine it's something as a juvenile defense attorney you know a little bit about in terms of, I don't know if any of your clients are people that have been involved in that or you guys just all discuss this in this world. What is your take on what you see on the news and what you're watching? Yes, it definitely is interesting how it seems to be more of a discussion about what's going on, which is I'm sure it's been going on for decades. Right. And they're, drag racing is nothing new. Street racing is nothing new. Um, and I, I wonder if we're just more aware of it now because there's more video of it and that's able to... And I'm not trying to say it's an okay thing to do. I'm just saying that I think we're so hyper aware now because anyone on any street corner where this is happening can take a video and post it. And now everyone across the country is aware that this is happening in Chicago. Exactly. So there is so much more on social media. And so I think the public is more aware that random people who are walking get hit by a car if they're doing like circles or donuts in an intersection or things like that. And so... That is something I think that created uh, the new city ordinance here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. There's always been an Illinois statute that's been recently amended. Again, that's taking effect in January of 23. But I think to broaden the definition of what street or drag racing is Mm -hmm. and then increasing penalties or specifically like the city of Chicago's ordinance allows different types of evidence to be used at a trial against an individual, which they always could use. But now it's just been codified into law. Yeah, I think it's it's such a fascinating thing because it's like a lot of things when a lot of people gather in one place, especially young adults, older teenagers, a lot of dumb decisions get made and there's a lot that goes into it. Like I think a lot of people, you know, you almost hype yourself up into these sorts of situations. Do you see that playing out a little bit too where maybe it's a small group gathering, they're causing a little trouble, it's fun, it's exciting, they know they're not supposed to be there and then it just keeps on escalating, keeps on getting crowds growing. Exactly, because they think there's nothing nothing wrong. It's just harmless. They just love their muscle cars, and they put so much work into souping up their cars or making it unique and specialized to them. And they're thinking, we're, we're not breaking the law. We're not like breaking into people's homes. We're not doing drugs. We're not drinking. All we're doing is we're outside driving or mm-hmm. hanging out with friends. So what could possibly be wrong with that? Right. And that that is one side of it, but of course we have had a fatality from a uh, from a pedestrian and a race. Someone got hit. There's been other people that have been hit or sideswiped by the cars, and just because maybe some of the kids aren't drinking, that does bring a lot of people to one place. There's a lot of other things that go on about that. So I imagine you could see the side of the city where they're trying to figure out a way to crack down on this, but it is not easy. Right. It's not easy at all. And some of them just leads to kids doing stupid stunts, like trying to sit on the hoods or. Things like that hang out through the windows. So the city is just trying to do anything that they can because regular people are saying, why can't police do something? Well, police can't be in every single intersection or on the expressways 100% of the time. They need something else. And then people are saying, well, what if it's my car or my children are using my car? Why should I get punished? So the laws change. So it makes it so, especially the city ordinance here in Chicago, that the owners, if they're aware or they should be aware 
of the car being used, they can face penalties as well. Okay, I want to pause there. So are there cases where it is not the young adults' cars, but it is, in fact, their parents' cars that they've taken and used? Correct. It could be their parents' cars or they're using other friends' cars. So what are the charges then? Like, who gets charged for what when something like that happens? Obviously, it depends on how escalated the situation gets. It's way different if you hit someone and you kill them. That obviously escalates it. Correct. So the driver of the car can get charged with a Class A misdemeanor and get fined and go up to jail up to 364 days, a $2,500 maximum fine. And then the fines increase the minimums for the drivers. But the owners of the car can also be charged with the same street drag racing. They can get charged with the same thing and they face a class B misdemeanor. So it's not punishable by one year. It's six months in the county jail and fines as well. The parents can get arrested and pulled into county jail. If they know that their child is using the car for those purposes, yes. Well, that's a big if. How do you prove that? Well, a lot of times if parents are monitoring their children's social media or their phones and they can see uh, a video on their child's phone or a video sent to their child's phone, and the next time the kid uses the car again, the parents should have known that that car could be used for that. Right. Are these events being publicized on social media as to where they're going to take place ahead of time? Some of them are, or they're posted in such obvious places like you're standing in front of Buckingham Fountain, so they could be presumed, or things like that, or they use license plate readers now. City of Chicago, there's always a issues with regards to privacy and people right. wondering about license plate readers. Little big brother of it. Correct. Yeah. And so now the city of Chicago says the license plate reader is valid to use for a law enforcement to track down these people. In real driving. time. Correct. And then even if the officers don't see the street racing, they can use that in prosecution of it. How how are they prosecuted, especially if it's a difference between a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old? That does make a big difference here, doesn't it? Right. Well, with regards to these, yes, it could be for what they're sentenced to. Obviously, a 17-year-old cannot go to the county jail, so they can be sentenced in the youth home. So that's different. Mm -hmm. But they still would be charged with Class A misdemeanors. But the 17-year-old would get charged as a minor, presumably. Or it could be, I suppose, under the city ordinance, the city ordinance violation. So they would just be charged in the same courtroom, perhaps, as an 18-year-old would. Oh, okay. So explain that a little bit, because some of these violations that you're talking about are city ordinances, which are the same uh, fine and same punishment levied regardless of what your age is? Correct. Correct. So a 17-year-old for the city of Chicago ordinance could be charged with the same exact same ticket or offense as an 18-year-old and go to the same courtroom as as an 18-year-old would. What about curfew? I know a lot of people say, isn't this after the curfew? Shouldn't everyone be rounded up and they get uh, issued a fine because of the curfew? They can, and absolutely that's something as well, but that's only typically if an officer actually catches someone at the time of the offense, and the curfew, that's really minimal, so that's barely any, it's just a slap on the wrist, it's not even any significant offense at all. Some people have said that, obviously, it's it's a nuisance, and when anyone dies from it, it escalates into something that's incredibly terrible, but some people have said there is an element of kids will be kids, or young adults will be young adults, I guess you could say, and Drag racing, street racing has been around since the 40s in some ways. I mean, this is not necessarily a new problem. Right. It's not a new problem. They're just trying to think, law enforcement and government is trying to think beyond the scope or beyond the big picture as to what they can do. So besides fining, I mean, these people, if you're the driver of owner, you can lose the car, get it forfeited, which is something that's always been available, but not used as often as now. And also you could lose your driver's license, which affects people. In right. a significant way. So how did you defend those cases if you were to get one? I mean, what do you start 
I mean, I, I guess it would depend on what ordinance or what law they violated. Right. So we handle a lot specifically including asset forfeiture cases. So when a vehicle is seized. So typically we just try to argue to the prosecutor that was an isolated incident if it was the driver or if it's a passenger who didn't, we argue or tried to argue and have argued that the passenger didn't know if it was their car, what the driver was going to do or a parent. They're an innocent owner. So really, they shouldn't be held necessarily responsible for what their child would do mm-hmm. because they weren't there with them. So to give them a break because allow law allows an innocent owner to get their car returned to them one time. I know a lot of people watch the videos and they go, how, how is this not broken up by police quicker? You mentioned that they can't be on every street corner, but isn't there a network in which we can determine what intersection they're at quickly and send like 20 squad cars in at once? Or is am I really misunderstanding how a police department works and is able to operate? No, and... Police departments do that. If there's a specific intersection or a parking lot that's used all the time, they have. They put up concrete barriers. They put cameras. They set squad cars waiting there. But there's still other crimes that occur that they need to be watching for. But once they do get a call, officers do all respond to that location. But the question is, who is calling? If you're a participant or an observer... who's enjoying it, you wouldn't necessarily call law enforcement. I know a lot of people have said also, even when police show up, there's a disrespect for police officers Mm -hmm. and it's really, and police officers also have been under the microscope and in some cases fairly so from some cases we've seen in the past. And, And I imagine that does hamper or freeze their efforts to be able to do something like that. We just had a text saying it's hard for police to interfere because of recent events. There is fear on their end, which Again, some people would say is deserved so. Some people say that's unfair. Your thoughts on that? That's so true. So officers respond. And the thing are is these cars that people are using for street racing, they are souped up. And I understand squad cars are have excellent engines and things. But then it comes a debate as to whether or not police should chase these cars. Mm-hmm. Have they really committed an offense that's a life-threatening to others? So it should justify a pursuit? So it's an officer's split-second decision. Do they follow and do a police chase and hope that that car that they're chasing doesn't then crash into someone and cause an accident. So that's where then they can get charged with aggravated fleeing or eluding a police officer, which can elevate it to a felony offense. It's a really great point. There had to be important split decisions made. And you're right about escalating the situation. A, a, a car chase in the middle of the night, seemingly or late at night. You talk about danger to pedestrians or other vehicles out there. And again, what's the crime going to ultimately be? You know, a misdemeanor? To, to do, I mean, obviously, if they elude police, that will be escalated. But is that worth it? It's an interesting discussion to have. We're not done yet. And by the way, when you said that police cars, uh, maybe not as powerful as souped-up cars, I don't know. Blues Brothers taught me that an old police car can jump over the bridge, 95th over the Calumet. So I don't know, True. Audrey. Yeah. More with Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors after the news here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN. 720 WGN. It's uh, 137 on this Sunday afternoon. John Hansen here. This is Let's Get Legal. It's powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. We're taking you up till 3 o'clock. Camp and OB with uh, Andy Mazur. We'll be breaking down the Bears question mark. We don't know. Fairly close game. I think they're at halftime right now. Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. We've been talking about street racing. I made a Blues Brothers joke before the news. And uh, every time you guys come in on Lower Wacker, you think about Blues Brothers? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. How many violations should they have been charged with? Oh, gazillions. <laughs> I think someone once did add up all of their violations in the entire film. And I don't know if they would have ever gotten out of prison when it was all said and done. Probably not. There's not enough money to pay all their fines, probably, too. <laughs> 
exactly. The Picasso. Uh, anyways, we were talking about street racing and uh, the juveniles that are often involved in it, young adults that are often involved with it, and this... It really is an epidemic in that we're seeing it so much more on the news right now. It's getting a lot of play. And now the blame game starts, right, of who is responsible for uh, either policing this correctly or preventing it from happening in the first place. I don't know if blame games are ever helpful and ever get to an answer, but I think it's just people want some answer on this. Right, they do. And you sort of feel for parents because a lot of them, they're working, they figure that they've raised their children right, what could possibly go wrong. Their children aren't on drugs, they're not drinking, they're in school, they're doing their work, they have good friends. So how is this very harmful? I mean, you can't be with your child 24 hours a day to monitor what they're doing. So should the parents be responsible? But then everyone else is looking, well, yes, you are a parent. You are responsible for everything your child does, even when they're not with you. Mm -hmm. And the uh, young adults and kids involved in this, and it really is a mix because it is a lot of probably kids under the age of 18, uh, but it's certainly young adults as well who should be responsible for their actions. I mean, they really are coming from a lot of different areas. This isn't just isolated to the neighborhood in which it happens, is it? Right. They're coming from all over on social media. They're finding out to go to a specific parking lot or industrial park or unfortunately, residential neighborhoods sometimes. So they're coming from all over. And so that's the thing for law enforcement, too. People are saying, well, what do we pay police for? We do pay police to try to figure that out. But it's hard to monitor and keep up with everything that's going on. The law allows them now, especially, I keep saying the Chicago ordinance. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a, literally a task force that's monitoring social media just for this. So law enforcement can keep on top of where these things are supposed to be happening. But it's not that they plan a week from Tuesday, it's going to be here. It's right. pretty much pop-up. It's, it's short notice. They don't make an event page and invite all their friends, and you get to see the yeses and the maybes and who can't make it. Sorry, I'm out of town that weekend. No, this is – it's often, I think, a lot of times the newer apps as well. It's not just Facebook. Facebook. TikTok, Snapchat, where it's private messages between people. Correct, exactly. For Snapchat, it can go on to so many people unless you have an undercover officer that's got an account that's friends with somebody or somebody accepts them into that group. How are law enforcement supposed to know? Or if it's it's at night and officers get a call for um, a residential burglary, someone breaks into a house or a store. So now they have divided resources. Which How much do they send to a street corner or an intersection or chasing down some person that just broke into a person's home. Right. What's more serious? What's more important? Whose victim takes priority? Right. And we're at a point where we are losing police officers. There aren't as many as there used to be. It's hard to hire police officers, just like every industry. So police are definitely overworked in this situation. Absolutely. They're so overworked. And it seems as if every decision that they make, everyone's a Monday morning quarterback looking yeah. back at their decisions that they're making in split seconds. Right, for sure. And we kind of touched on that earlier, the idea of you get a bunch of police officers to respond to one of these situations. Is the goal to, you know, throw everyone in a paddy wagon that they can? What if a car speeds away? And you got to make those decisions. And, and you've dealt with and seen other cases in court where, Police decide to do pursue. They made that decision for whatever reason, uh, justified or not. And uh, a vehicle then crashes into someone else and causes harm. I mean, there are real ramifications to the decisions that police officers make. Correct. And there's always that concern about what will happen. And so people say, yes, you have to follow them, but you're putting innocence at risk. Mm -hmm. All right. I wanted to talk about forfeit Wait, what am I? What, what's the word I'm trying to say? Asset forfeiture. Asset forfeiture. I had to be very careful with those two words and how I was using them. Asset forfeiture. 
What is it? Because you do a lot of cases with this, right? I do a lot, especially when I was a prosecutor and now on the defense side. Not that many defense attorneys handle asset seizures or asset forfeitures. So that's where anything is seized by law enforcement because they claim it's being used in the commission of a crime, either before, during, or after. Mm -hmm. So typically, it's a vehicle. So with this, with street racing... Officers can track down using social media or license plate readers, find out where the car is registered to, go, and they can seize it. Because okay. they can see videos on social media. So they seize it and goes to a prosecutor. Someone can come to court to fight against it. If not, then the car gets seized, awarded towards law enforcement, and then they can either sell it off or maybe use it as an undercover vehicle or something like that. Wait, so they get to seize the vehicle. Is there a recourse for a defendant to say, no, I want that. That's mine. I want it. Correct. So... Officers have to, and law enforcement, they have to file paperwork, and then the owner of a car or the driver of a car has to file paperwork with the court as well within a certain amount of time. And if they don't file the paperwork, if they don't appear in court, then it's uncontested and the vehicle gets seized and awarded to law enforcement. Wait, do you have to be found guilty of that crime? No, no, no. You don't even have to be charged with the crime. You don't have to be charged with a crime and so the police can take away your stuff and never give it back to you? Correct. After a hearing before a judge, correct? Okay. Yes. So there has to be a hearing before a judge, but it's it's not a lot of defense attorneys take up these cases, is what you're suggesting. Correct. They do not, because it's quasi-criminal, but quasi-civil. So criminal attorneys don't necessarily handle civil cases. It's different rules of evidence. It's a different burden. The burden's lower for the prosecutors, so it's easier for prosecutors to get the cars. But yeah, the our clients don't even have to be charged with a crime, and a lot of times they're not. And I think what you're saying, saying about that lower burden is it's not like when we see in a criminal case, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this person was involved in this crime. I need this evidence. It's just the preponderance of evidence over 50 percent. Right. Is that the number that Correct. people use? Correct. OK. I just like to say the word preponderance. Um, well, I just find that interesting because there certainly are justifications when police want to hold on to evidence even before someone is charged with a crime. Right. You're not suggesting that there's no cases where that would be the case. Right. And sometimes that's what officers do as well. There's a subsection in the statute that allows law enforcement to hold on to a vehicle and not actually follow through with the forfeiture process while it's being seized as evidence while the crime is being investigated. Mm -hmm. So that's a slightly used example of sometimes where they don't automatically file in court to get the car. Okay. You know a lot about this because as you mentioned there, you used to work in the state's attorney's office, right? For people that haven't heard that before, has that provided you with ample... uh uh, resources at your uh, disposal now on the other side as a defense attorney. It has. It has given me a significant amount of experience and just understanding of the law and the procedure of how asset forfeiture works because they can take cars or money or items like sunglasses or clothes, backpacks, things like that, which is more rare, but sometimes happens. But because I've done hundreds of those, probably, it gives me a lot of experience now on the defense side, representing people who have their cars or cash taken. What would Audrey Anderson, the prosecutor, think if she saw Audrey Anderson, the defense attorney, walk in? I know. She'd be amazed. <laughs> but it's fun. It's great being You're on like, the side of people. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that's interesting. And that is not all that. I mean, I don't know. You tell me, is that unusual for lawyers to kind of switch roles like that? Or is it does it happen fairly often? It does happen fairly often. Okay, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, good work, Audrey Anderson. I appreciate it. And uh, we often get this question about defending people. And we always sum it up that everyone has that right to the defense, uh, including asset forfeiture. I mean, especially if people are holding on evidence and you've never been charged with anything. I mean, they can do it indefinitely, right? Right. Unfortunately, I have a client now. Her vehicle's been held for over two years. 
and we're still trying to figure out. We just finally figured out this past week where it is and trying to get it back. And she's never received any paperwork. It's never gone to court. So poor things. It's you're still paying for registration. You're still paying for insurance. You're still paying for the loan for that car, and you don't have the car for two years to go to work to do Correct. things. Correct. That's crazy. Oh, we could do a whole episode on that. But we don't have time for it today, Audrey Anderson. Saved by the bell, 630-877-5800, AndersonAA.com. Who should be calling you? Everyone that has a problem or think that they're going to have a problem pretty soon. Okay. (laughs) I like that. Get ahead of it. Yeah, get ahead of it. Always reach out to Audrey Anderson. We'll talk again soon, okay? Sounds great.